Well, good morning, everyone. It is great to see you. How are you feeling today? All right, all right. And welcome to everyone uh, over in Brown Chapel. Uh, we want to uh, get started on a message that um, has been cooking in my heart for a, a little while called It's Time to Sing. I got a text from one of my nieces. She was all excited about a sing-along that we were having uh, because uh, the way it was worded in the website, it was, uh, it's time to sing with Pastor Stephen. So it sounded like uh, maybe the old sing-along with Mitch show or something but uh, from days gone by. But it's not a sing-along, but it is a lesson about singing. Um, I want to point out to you today that um, there is such a thing as the Lord setting us up and not only does he set us up for blessing, we praise God for that, but there is such a thing as the Lord setting us up for what may be perceived as a test or a trial, and it's beyond our cap, uh, capacity to understand, thank you, uh, exactly what's going on. We may not understand it. For instance, the Lord spoke to Moses when he was in the wilderness before he had received his message about how to help Israel. And it says that he turned aside. And when he turned aside, the Lord began to speak to Moses. And as far as we know, he'd never spoken to him before until that time. Um, there are times that the Spirit might lead us in a way that is just counterintuitive. In the life of Jesus, it says that Jesus was led by the Spirit after his um, baptism, he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for a time of testing. Um, in this particular passage that we're looking at today, we find the Lord told Israel to turn back. Now, the reason God told them to turn back is going to be evident as we read the text. Let's uh, begin Exodus 14. Now, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Tell the sons of Israel to turn back and camp before Pi-Hahiroth between Migdal and the sea, and you shall camp in front of Baal-Zephon opposite it by the sea. Now this is why, verse 3, For Pharaoh, <coughs> and by the way, for those of you that may be uh, uh, new Christians or, or haven't yet learned the context of this story, they've just had their first Passover. God has set the children of Israel free from Egyptian bondage. They're on the run. They're trying to get as far as they can from Egypt. And they find themselves, because of where God tells them to camp, uh, literally between the devil and the deep blue sea, or so it seems. The reason is, for Pharaoh will say of the sons of Israel, they are wandering aimlessly in the land, and the wilderness has shut them in. Thus will I harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will chase after them, and I will be honored through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. And they did so. Now God says, I am bringing you to a tough place in order for my name to be glorified, for you to learn to trust me, and for the power of the enemy to be defeated. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his servants had a change of heart toward the people, and they said, What is this we have done? We've let Israel go from serving us. So he made his chariot ready, he took his people with him, and he took 600 select chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he chased after the sons of Israel as the sons of Israel were going out boldly. Then the Egyptians chased after them with all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen and his army, and they overtook them camping by the sea, there where the Lord had told him to go. As Pharaoh drew near, the sons of Israel looked, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they became very frightened. This is the pivotal part of the story today, because even after God secures a great victory for us, Sometimes we find ourselves facing the same problems we faced before in what seems to be like a counterattack. They became very frightened, so the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord. They, then they said to Moses, 
Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us in this way, bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we spoke to you in Egypt, saying, Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Boy, they were so excited about leaving. But this is our tendency. Our tendency, all of us, is to find faith easy to talk about until the Egyptians show up. Or whatever the, uh, is represented by the Egyptians in our soul. Then we begin to say things that we wished we hadn't said. Then we begin to forget every promise of God. We become sarcastic. We become uh, unbelieving. We become accusatory. But Moses said to the people, Do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see them again forever. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the sons of Israel to go forward. As for you, lift up your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, and the sons of Israel shall go through the midst of the sea on dry land. As for me, behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them, and I will be honored through Pharaoh and his army, through all his chariots and his horsemen. Then the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I am honored through Pharaoh, uh, through his chariots and his horsemen." Now, what the children of Israel see as death and captivity, the Lord says, I've allowed this to come to bring honor to my name and to put trust in your heart. Then the angel of God, who had been going before the camp of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them. So it came between the camp of Egypt and the camp of Israel, and there was the cloud along with the darkness, yet it gave light at night. Thus the one did not come near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord swept <coughs> excuse me, the sea back by a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry land, so the waters were divided." The sons of Israel went through the midst of the sea on dry land, and the waters were like a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Then the Egyptians took up the pursuit, and all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen went in after them to the midst of the sea. At the morning watch, now you got to remember, all this happens through the night. The Lord looked down on the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud and brought the army of the Egyptians into confusion. He caused their chariot wheels to swerve. He made them drive with difficulty so that the Egyptians said, Let us flee from Israel. The Lord is fighting for them against the Egyptians. Guys, I just want to remind you, sometimes we can get so concerned with our circumstances, that the enemy understands God is fighting for us long before we do. I mean, you know, that's why James says demons believe and tremble. They have, they have pretty good spiritual insight. And sometimes the enemy sees with better spiritual clarity than we do. So, the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may come back over the Egyptians, over their chariots, over their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the sea returned to its normal state at daybreak while the Egyptians were fleeing right into it. Then the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. The waters returned, covered the chariots and the horsemen, even Pharaoh's entire army that had gone into the sea after them. Not even one of them remained, but the sons of Israel walked on dry land through the midst of the sea, and the waters were like a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. 
When Israel saw the great power which the Lord had used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Now this lesson is easily lost if we don't understand an order that was taking place. When Israel saw the way God dealt with their enemies, at that time they began to fear the Lord. At that time they believed the Lord. At that time they trusted Moses. And I'll tell you something else they did. The very next chapter they began to sing. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord for He is highly exalted. The horse and its rider He has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise Him. My Father's God and I will exalt Him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is His name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has hurled into the sea. <coughs> Excuse me, the best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deep waters have covered them, and they sank to the depths like a stone. Now, <coughs> we're tempted to stop there. This beautiful song goes on for 21 verses. It's a phenomenal celebration of the Lord's victory. What we find out, though, is that right after this phenomenal victory, they have another test, and they failed miserably. They're looking for water, and they anger God because of their unbelief that surfaces again. In fact, when you study the book of Exodus and the story of the journeys of Israel through, through the wilderness, we know that they were only designed to be there for a few weeks. Some scholars have said probably uh, we were looking at a 12-week planned journey by the Lord through the wilderness. Now the wilderness is necessary because it's in the wilderness we learn that man does not live by bread alone. That's why Jesus went into the wilderness. But it's not punishment to go into the wilderness. It's only punishment to go into the wilderness when we fail the wilderness tests. Now, what happened is Israel had this phenomenal miracle happen. The Red Sea has opened up. The ground is like dry ground. And when Israel gets through, God drowns their enemies by caving in the walls of water on them. You would think that would carry them at least till the next Sunday. But I'm not being critical of Israel because I've learned that whether we're modern church or ancient Israel, we have the same patterns. We, we have failed to understand this. And stay with me, loved ones. I don't know if they still have it today in school. But when I was in school, they had a grade called D-. And if you got a D-, what it meant is social promotion. Now, I'm, I'm not... I'm not even fussing about that. I'm saying, you know, social promotion can be a gift of God sometimes. But I tell you, uh, I, I tell you, I, I got from one class to the next in, with a social promotion one time. Uh, I mean, and I was, a, I was an A and B student, but I just had trouble with this particular class. And the teacher gave me a D minus. And what she was saying is, you have not mastered this material but you are a sweet boy. <laughs> and I like you. I don't want you to fail. So I'm going to give you a social promotion. And I was so happy. That meant no summer school. That meant, you know, I, I got through it. Barely, but I got through it. But you know what I found out when I got to the next level? I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready. And loved ones, please, I don't mean to sound belligerent today, but I am afraid that we as Christians are often the recipients of spiritual social promotions. And we end up singing about a victory God gave us, but we didn't pass the test. We didn't learn the lessons. And so we end up having to take the lessons again uh, in a spiritual sense I read the story of Israel. They had 10 such tests. The first 
beginning at the Red Sea. And this is what the scripture says. They failed all of them. They failed all of them. And I want to talk to you today just as very quickly here. I, I realize the time that I've got. Justin, is my watch wrong or is that watch wrong? Is it about 28 after? Okay, then somebody's trying to cheat me out of some time. Okay. <laughs> I just wanted to be sure my watch wasn't slow here. And uh, um, I, th I, th I remember preaching one time, I thought the Lord would, had expanded the day like he did for Joshua in the battle, and my watch had died. That was all that had happened. But uh, uh, I just want to be sure I'm on track. Um, loved ones, I want to talk to you about the problem that we all seem to face. And God has been dealing with me that he wants to take us to the next level of our service to him, of our combat for him, our, our battling for him. He wants to teach us on another level to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. But we have become accustomed to social promotion we have been accustomed to not passing the test, but God in His mercy provides for us anyway. And, and the default mode of the church of the living God in most instances is not an aggressive forward moving faith. It's a God who rescues us in spite of our unbelief. And we don't learn the lesson. Now, don't get me wrong. Any of us can fail and, 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 still, and still learn what we need to learn. Sometimes you learn from passing. Sometimes you learn from failing. But I'm afraid that in the church of Jesus Christ today, there is a mindset. There is a default mode where all we care about is getting from this side of the sea to the other side of the sea. We sing our songs, but we sing our songs on the wrong side. So I want to talk to us about the problem we face and the promises that we forget. And then I want to talk to you just from my heart about a practice that is so difficult. Let's hurry with this. David Wilkerson preached a message that changed my life, um, oh, I don't know, probably, probably 30 years ago. It was called Right Song, Wrong Side. And he was telling this story, and he said that God is trying to move us to the place that we begin to sing our song of celebration before he has to prove himself. We have, uh, we have, we have some distortions in our, in our mind that Brother Wilkerson was trying to point out, and it was a life-changing message. He said, begin to sing the song of the Lord's faithfulness in the middle of the problem instead of waiting for him to prove himself. Um, and this is something he said to me. I was talking to him about the message one time, and this is what he said. Uh, I think this is in your notes. Most of God's people eventually sing, and they sing the right song. Okay, let's just stop right there for a minute. Most of God's people eventually sing, and they sing the right song. The problem is they sing the right song on the wrong side. And David Wilkerson, 30 years ago, said, we're going to see God begin to move in the church. He said, within years to come, God is going to move in the church and teach us to sing on the right side of the battle instead of waiting for God to prove himself. In other words, most of the time we wait for resolution before we sing. Now thank God we sing. Thank God we get it right finally. Thank God that, you know, we say, well, yeah, I blew it, but God was faithful. But the question, loved one, is do we learn from that? Or, we, or do we just spend the rest of our lives doing the same thing over and over, never really believing until God just gives undeniable proof and then we break out a new song? But what we find is that the next battle, we're in the same place with the same struggles, the same unbelief, and it's because we didn't learn the lesson. Let me tell you the story behind 
Exodus that we just read. I'm going to be reading, this isn't in your notes, but Psalm 106, verses 6 to 15. Psalm 106, the psalmist is talking about how easy it is for us to forget what God is like and what God has done and for us to celebrate at the wrong time. We have sinned like our fathers, the psalmist said. We've committed iniquity. We have behaved wickedly. Our fathers in Egypt did not understand your wonders. Okay, this is Psalm 106. They did not remember your abundant kindnesses. They forgot what God was like. They forgot how good God was. They forgot the way God moves. And this was the result. So they rebelled by the sea, at the Red Sea. Nevertheless, thank God for his nevertheless. Nevertheless, he saved them for the sake of his name that he might make his power known. Okay, they rebelled, but God saved them for his name's sake and a chance to show his power. Thus he rebuked the Red Sea and it dried up and he led them through the deeps as through the wilderness. So he saved them from the hand of the one who hated them and redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. And we're saying, Woo! he saved, he redeemed, praise God. The waters covered their adversaries, not one of them was left. And then verse 12 puts it in perspective. Then they believed his words. Then they sang his praise. Okay? Verse 13, they quickly forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel, but craved intensely in the wilderness and tempted God in the desert. So he gave them their request, but sent a wasting disease among them. And wasting disease, there's a better translation, I think, in King James. It says he sent leanness to their souls. In other words, the, 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 their spiritual progress was greatly hindered because instead of embracing what God was doing, they rebelled by not believing. Loved ones, please hear me today. This is the level of belief from which God is trying to release us. What I'm talking about today is not a matter of salvation. It's a matter of sanctification. Please hear me. The answer that they were looking for was not what they needed most at all. What they needed more than anything else was confidence that God would bring the answer that they needed. We have a tendency, I, I know I do, I have a tendency when trouble comes, I want to see God fix it. I want a solution. But what God does relentlessly in our lives is teach us it's not about us, it's about him. And so the solution to the problem <coughs> is not what he does first. He moves in our lives ideally so that we have a trust in him, a confidence in him. Uh, whenever Jesus would walk up to the disciples <coughs> in the storm on the sea, what was it Jesus always said? Have faith, don't be afraid. Then he rebuked the storm. And he has, a, he has a frustrating habit of insisting that the storm in us get dealt with before the storm that we are in. That's what was going on here at the Red Sea. I believe with all of my heart that God is looking for us in the days ahead to walk with a new devotion, a new strength, a new anointing. He's looking for those willing to be freshly and deeply devoted to him on this new level. He is looking for us to begin to live. Are you guys with me here? He's looking for us to begin to seek for release and not just relief. <coughs> when something is not hitting on all cylinders in us, the way it ought to be. He doesn't want us to just get through it. He wants us to conquer it. He wants us to have freedom instead of reprieve. And God is going to begin to take us. He's going to have us turn back on some things like he did Israel. He says, because the enemy has a plan 
and I am going to totally turn his plan upside down. I'm going to destroy the enemy that has plagued you and I'm going to give glory to my name. And most of all, I think, well, maybe I shouldn't say most of all, but, but not least of all, he says, I am going to show you the way I want you to live. Loved ones, God is not planning a life for us in which we go from narrow escape to narrow escape to narrow escape, unbelief, 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 only to have Him rescue us, not because of our faith, but in spite of our unbelief. He's moving in us so that we have a confidence in Him. And even when we make the mistakes, like I'm describing here in the Red Sea, even if we fail, because we all fail, and God's not holding it against you if you fail. But even when we fail, we learn that we failed. And we make the jump to success. Thomas, I cannot believe all of the miracles that Thomas saw with his own eyes. Oh, what a wonderful opportunity for Thomas to see Jesus do all of those things. Thomas had such an incredible faith in Jesus. When he thought Jesus was on a suicide mission to Jerusalem, he said, let's go with him. If he's going to die, let's all die with him. Thomas loved Jesus. Thomas was amazed at the power of Jesus. But because of the crucifixion, his faith dipped so low. And loved ones, let me tell you, let me tell every one of you, from pastors to the newest Christians, Every one of us can face situations. Every one of us can get a notice in the mail. Every one of us can have something happen at work sooner or later that turns us on our heels and we find it difficult to even remotely believe God. We all get there. For Thomas, it was the crucifixion. And when they told him that they had seen the resurrected Lord, what Thomas said was, no. I know what's happened. I know what I've seen. But no, I will not believe unless I can put my hand in his side and my fingers in the holes that the nails made. Unless I have physical proof, I will not believe. And Jesus did for Thomas what he does for many of us. I know he has for me. Jesus showed up the next week, looked at Thomas and held out his hands and, and said, Thomas, don't walk in this doubt and unbelief anymore. D have faith and I've come to do for you what you've insisted that I do in order for you to have faith. And man, Thomas leapt from this level to this level. There's no indication that he had to touch the wounds at all. Thomas saw what he had, had demanded proof for. And he realized, I was so wrong. And what he said was, my Lord and my God. Thomas went from, I will not believe, to, oh, that was a stupid thing to say. You are my Lord. You are my God. I don't have to have the physical proof of putting my hand in your side. Lord, I believe. Now, that's what we're supposed to do when we have moments of unbelief. God doesn't write us off when we fail, but he wants us to, to, to pursue him so that we come to a place when he corrects us and when he comes through for us, we immediately jump and say, I'm not waiting so long to sing next time. I'm going to sing on the other side Next time, the, the, the father with the demonized son, his faith was not perfect. His faith was not perfect at all. Jesus said, everything's possible if you believe. He said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. And we say, oh, well, then faith's not that important. He, did, he, he was torn right down the middle, and Jesus still helped him. Let me tell you what that guy did that was brilliant. That's, let me tell you what that guy did that... All of us pilgrims who are in this journey need to learn. Whenever you're struggling with faith, always lean into faith and talk about your weakness only after you've declared your faith. He said, Lord, I believe, but I'm still fighting some battles. Lord, I trust you, but there are moments I lose sight of your promise. Guys, we've got to stop defaulting to, to our whining and complaining for lack of a better term, we've got to understand that some of the greatest victories we've celebrated 
it wasn't because we had such incredible faith, but it was for his name. It was for his sake. It was to give us an opportunity to grow. Israel missed 10 opportunities to shift gears. And what God is telling us is these things were written to you as an example. So learn from Israel. Stop defaulting to doubt. Stop defaulting to unbelief. Learn to sing the song on the right side. Now, that's the problem. Let's talk about some promises. I, I, I want to just tell you four anchor points that have been an anchor point for my soul. And then I want us to wrap this up. I'm not, I'm not even going to do a good job of explaining these anchor points thoroughly. But uh, number one, I have come to, to understand that I must anchor my soul on this first fact. Everything that happens to me is working together for my good. You say, Pastor, that's hard to believe. I know it's hard to believe. The reason it's hard to believe is that because we want that verse to mean everything that's working for me is good. But it ain't all good. It ain't all good. But God is able to take everything working in my life, the good, the bad, and the ugly, that great theologian Clint Eastwood said, and he's able to make it work for good. Not everything is good. There was a teaching years ago, thank God for everything. If you're raped, thank God you were raped. If you've gone bankrupt, thank God you're bankrupt. That's not what this teaching is saying even remotely. He's saying in everything, Paul said to the Thessalonians, we give thanks. We give thanks in everything, not for everything, because God has the ability to take the most unpleasant things in our life and turn something good into it. God said, hey, Israel, I want you to turn back and camp over there. And he told Moses why. He said, because the enemy's going to be over there. And there's going to be a test and a trial over there. I would have said, I think I'm going to take plan B. I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to listen to my spiritual ways or, or spiritual Siri. And I'm going to follow her directions instead of yours, you know. That would have been my temptation but sometimes God says, I want you over here. Some of you are facing something right now and you're so angry over facing it. You think God has failed you or you think somebody's failed you. And I mean, I've been there. I know what it's like. But what we have got to begin to recover is that God, when he, just, when he detours me, everything is going to work together for good. The second thing I want you to understand um, is that he will keep everything that you give to him. That word keep means it's translated guard in other places. It means to protect. It means to keep it preserved and intact so that what it's intended to do, it will be able to do. He says, I am not worried about the circumstances I face because I am convinced, I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he's able to guard what I have entrusted to him against that day. So the promise I don't want to forget, everything's working for my good, and everything I give to him, he will protect it, keep it functioning and, and, and preserve the essence of it. Number three, he will bring to beautiful completion the good work that he has begun. So it's not just I'm going to take care of what you give me in this life, but I am going to complete the work that I began in your life. He says, being confident of this in Philippians, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And then one more thing. This is so important. Guys, this has got to find an anchor point in your soul. Now, I've got to be convinced that everything's working for good, even if it doesn't feel like it. I've got to believe that everything I commit to the Lord, He will be faithful to preserve and protect. I've got to believe that He is going to take the work that He began in me, those promises He gave to me, the promises in Scripture, He's going to bring them to, to perfection. And the last thing is this, even when we are far beyond our strength and ability, whether emotionally, physically, situationally, whatever, 
He said, I will deliver you. I lived for years under the promise that God will not let me go through more than I can handle. And then I started having trouble with that verse because he started giving me tons of things I couldn't handle. And then I reread the promise and what he said was that he would not allow me to be tempted beyond that which I'm able to bear or, or, or to resist. In other words, no temptation the devil brings to me is going to be so strong it overpowers me. I can never, like Flip Wilson, say the devil made me do it. I will never be tempted beyond my ability to say no. But what about tested beyond my ability to manage? Oh, all the time. All the time. Listen to what Paul said to the Corinthians. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. And this is the Apostle Paul's confession. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure. He says, we, we were not able to endure what we were under so that we despaired of life itself. He says, we, we became convinced we were not going to live through this. We're not going to live through this. Indeed, we felt um, that we had received the sentence of death. Receiving the sentence of death, you know what he's saying? He's saying, we, we came to the conclusion that it was our time to go home. God's going to kill us. That's how bad it was. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril. He will deliver us again. On Him we've set our hope that He will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers. He says, please pray for us because we understand that when we don't think we can survive a situation, when we are under a situation that should kill us, when what God is after is teaching us to trust in Him who raises the dead. You know what He told Abraham to do? He told Abraham to kill his son. And the problem, you know, as a sacrifice, that's beyond our, our Christian thinking today. But that's what He told Abraham to do. And it was such a moment of opportunity for Abraham because listen what, what the New Testament says about that issue. Abraham has received a promise from God that through his son Isaac, there's going to be a nation that erupts. Now he's taken Isaac as a, as a junior high boy and he's going to sacrifice him on the altar. Why? What does the New Testament say? We don't have this in Genesis. But what the New Testament says is this. He became convinced that if he took Isaac's life, God was going to raise him from the dead. He had an amazing three-day journey to the place of, of sacrifice and not under, he began not understanding what God was after, not understanding why God would do this. But by the time he got there, he had been elevated in such faith. He says, well, if I kill him, God's going to raise him because God's made me a promise. God's made me a promise. And that's what he's talking about here. He says, hey, hey, if you think you're un, under the sentence of death, it's okay. Just remember this. God's able. He raises the dead all the time. Now, what's the practice that's so difficult here? How, how do we handle this? How do we work through this? When I'm facing the problem of I'm having trouble singing on the right side, when, when I'm trying to latch on to these four promises or promises like them that God has given me, what do I do? Loved ones, I know what it's like to try, to try to have faith only to find it just fall flat. Oh, I know God helps us and there are moments that before I can even get it out of my mouth, God's helping me with what I'm facing. And then there are moments that I've, cried and prayed for weeks and nothing seems to be moving. Well, what do you do then, Pastor? Let me give you some suggestions very quickly. About just a few seconds for each one. Guys, we've got to learn to cry out to God again. We've got to learn in humility to cry out to God. This is not mental calisthenics 
where we're just trying to get our thoughts right. That's part of it. But we need to cry out to God. Cry out to Him for help, for mercy, for pity. Cry out to Him to give us rest and trust and faith in Him. Some things only come when we call out to Him from our needy position. And I know what it's like with tears in my face. Being the pastor of the church, Lord, if you don't help me, I'm going down. We've got to learn to cry out to God. We've got to learn to bring our thoughts in line with the truth. Paul said to the Romans in chapter 12 that we're being transformed by the renewing of our mind. And I'm not talking about robotic repetition. I'm not talking about the mindless recitation of scriptures and calling that positive confession. It means that the scripture must take on a new role in your life and becomes a new default. Most Christians treat the scripture like that thing on the wall that says break in case of fire. You know, pull in case of emergency. We are, we are a, a people in general, I'm surely not these two services, but other pe people in other places, we are, have become a people who hold on to scripture and know it's there in case of an emergency and then we wonder why when we try to claim the scriptures, it's, it's so unfamiliar to us. We've got to move in our hearts to the place that scripture is considered, as David said, more necessary to me than my food and drink. And when scripture takes the place that it ought to take in our lives, it will be a natural flow where our carnal thoughts are replaced by scriptural thoughts. And, and loved ones, I want to tell you this, I'm, I'm not trying to be belligerent and I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but there, there are people in church week after week that have struggled for 10, 20, 30, 40 years to get a devotional life. They've never been able to get a devotional life. They never have systematic reading of the scripture and they wonder why their default is to fear and doubt. It's because you've never made it an important part of your life. We need a new default. Now, it's okay to work through anger and words don't paralyze or cancel our destiny, but we do need to learn that life and death are really in the power of the tongue. And remember what I said about the, the man who had a struggle with unbelief over his demonized son. He chose to position himself, while I'm fighting this battle, I'm going to lean into faith, and then I'm going to talk to God about my struggles. Don't, there's a lot of difference between saying, Lord, I believe, but I'm having trouble. Lord, I believe, but I'm being beat down. Lord, I believe, forgive me for being so inconsistent in my thinking. There's a lot of difference between that and, well, what is it, God? Did you not have enough graves in Egypt to bury us there? That you had to take us out into the wilderness? We told you this was a bad idea. There's a lot of difference. So we need to cry out to God and bring our thoughts in line with truth. And then loved ones, I want to tell you there's great power in testimony. We've got to learn to testify. Remember what he has done, that he's been faithful, that he's been so, so good. Remember in Revelation 12 that the generation that overcomes the enemy will be marked. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the second of three things, the word of their testimony We've got to learn to brag on God. We've got to focus on what he has done. That's what Hezekiah did. That's what the church in Acts chapter 4 did. Whenever we are assailed by an enemy, we've got to remember who God is. We've got to remember what God has done. We've got to remember his track record. Lord, you've never failed me. Lord, you've never left me on my own. You've never left me alone. Lord, you have been faithful, so faithful to me testify and then we got to learn to trust you say oh pastor that's that's so hard i know <coughs> i know but that means we hold steady we walk in peace and the way to trust is to stop accusing the one who loves you more than is imaginable trust is not built by insults trust is not built by accusation sometimes it seems radical. Sometimes we have to take the position of Job. Though he slay me, I will trust him. I don't think that meant Job was saying, I've got this figured out or I understand. 
<laughs> in fact, he said, if the worst thing imaginable happens, I'm still going to trust him. I know that you're tired of hearing about the three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, or, or as I used to teach children's church, shake the bed, make the bed, and into bed you go, you know. <laughs> I helped them remember it. They said, we know, we know, we know that God is able to deliver us. And then they said, with a, maybe a little less, we believe that he will. But they, know, they knew how to finish out that paragraph. They said, but if he doesn't, it doesn't change our theology there's not, we're not going to be in the market for a new God. They told the king, even if God doesn't work the way I think he ought to work, we're going to trust him. Trust is not something you just pick off a shelf. Trust is, is, is a fruit that grows in your life out of making those tough decisions. You say, Pastor, I'm so tired of hearing about those guys. Then let's learn their lesson so we can go on. And here's the Here's where we want to wrap it up. We want to sing. Learn to sing. Now, God's going to help you, and you're going to sing. But the problem is we wait too long to sing. The, the, the problem is we come to grips with God has saved us, even though we weren't worthy, and we sing. And God loves the singing. But I want to tell you, can you imagine how powerful that song might have been on the other side? Can you imagine what God might have done if the two or three million, however many uh, children of Israel there were, if they understood before God showed off, if they began to praise Him there? We'll never know because it never happened. God has never failed me. God's never left me alone. But I want to tell you, a lot of things he's done for me was not because of faith. It was, it was in spite of my sucking attitude. It was in spite of my doubt. It was in spite of my whining and complaining and anger. And guys, I'm not here to fuss you. I'm, the message today is not stop whining. We all have that problem. The message is God's trying to lift you past that. Oh, I'm not giving you a message that says you're not going to have struggles. I'm not going to give you a message that says you're not going to have enemy army chasing you in an uncrossable sea before you. But I am telling you this. God is saying I'm looking for people that will just take a next step. Now, we, we want to, to pray. It's time for us to go here and just to... Well, it's time for us to go now, but I'm not paying any attention. I'm going to assume Justin has messed up the clock again. No, I'm teasing. I know it's time for us to go. But we want to have a prayer tunnel today for those of you that want to participate. We know we have graduation this afternoon, and some of you have a very busy afternoon. Uh, others of you, you may say, I don't even know what a prayer tunnel is. I don't know if I want to do that. Well, that's okay. I mean, that's okay. You can, you can just stay in worship. The worship team's coming. You can just worship with them. That's okay. But let me tell you what God put in my heart yesterday as I was praying. What God wants to do for you. Now, the context of what he spoke to me was as we go through the tunnel. It may not happen at that moment, but God is about to release three things in our lives. And this is what I want you to get. Uh, he can do it if you're seated where you are. He can do it as you go through the tunnel. He can do it if you have to leave. You say, oh, Pastor, i got to go to work. I don't have time to stay. God is saying that in the course of today and the next few days, He's going to release three things on you. And those who can, I want you to go through the tunnel. Here's number one. I believe the Lord spoke to me and said He's going to give you an anointing to receive. An anointing to receive. This is what He spoke to me in prayer. The miscarriages of your journey are going to cease. I don't think he's talking about physical miscarriages. I mean, he can do that too. But those of you that have ever had a, a miscarriage like, like we have, you, you spend months in excitement, anticipation, and everything, your preparation is lost, your hope is lost, future dreams for that child are just lost. 
And it's one of the most devastating feelings you can go through, a, a, a miscarriage or, or a baby that's stillborn. God says, I'm going to give you an anointing to receive. There will be no more spiritual miscarriages. In other words, God says, your example, or your experience rather, has been I try and I try and I push and I push and I pray and I pray and I end up without anything to show for it. God says that's about to change. He's going to give you an anointing to receive. Number two, he says he's going to give you strength to overcome. Sometimes we can just get exhausted physically, emotionally, psychologically. But God said this, you're fighting. And, and he says he's proud of the way you fought to believe. But he's going to give you strength to overcome. And he's going to give you the ability to receive what you wouldn't have received otherwise. The third thing he said is this, I will fight for you. And these are the words he put in my heart. I had to look up the verse. I will fight for you. As for your enemies, I will destroy the fruit above and the roots below. And I, I knew I'd read that just recently in the Minor Prophets. I had to find it. It's in Amos chapter 2. And this was God speaking to the children of Israel. He says, you're not believing me. You don't believe I have power. This is what he said. Uh, and he was talking about how the Amorites were crushing them. But as my people watched, I destroyed the Amorites Though they were as tall as cedars and as strong as oaks, you watched me destroy the fruit on their branches and dig out their roots. Loved ones, I believe what God is saying is that we're discouraged because we fought these battles over and over again. These enemies keep showing up in our lives over and over again. And every time God helps us, it just seems to be by the skin of our teeth. But God is saying to us, like he said through Moses to the children of Israel, these Egyptians that have plagued you all of your life, you're never going to see them again. The enemy, Brown Chapel, listen, the enemy that has been so prevalent in your life God says, I'm going to give you an anointing to receive. I'm going to give you strength to overcome. And I will fight for you. And the enemy that you say is too strong to be broken, I'm going to go up and reach high and tear the fruit off of their branches. And I'm going to tear up their roots so they never bear fruit in your life again. Would you stand with me? It's, it's past time for us to go. I, I know that. But for those who would like to go through the prayer tunnel, we're going to ask you to come. Justin's going to give you directions in this building. Pastor Corey's going to give you directions over in Brown Chapel. And to everyone who can, we want you to come through the tunnel. If you, if you, if, if you say, this is just weird, this is just weird, well, just stay where you are in worship unless God's telling you to come. But God is wanting to breathe three victories, these three provisions into our life in these days that are coming. Justin.